Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education, The Plumley Pod. Hello and welcome to The Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and this week we have Charlotte. Uh, coming to speak to us about her experiences of home education. She's a wife, a mother of two boys, and a recent convert. Welcome to the podcast, Charlotte. Good morning. Can you tell me, first of all, about, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how you came to your decision to to homeschool one of your children? Uh, Well, I've already, I've always been interested in homeschooling for, for a while. I suppose it comes hand in hand with waking up to everything that's going on in the world. But uh the 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 kind of final push for me was when we had lockdown and my youngest who was eight at the time uh during the first lockdown um he just became very distressed about going to school well in the beginning they kind of set up restrictions at school so we had bubbles and hand washing and all that kind of stuff and he just became slowly reclusive um he I mean he literally has gone from one child to a completely different child he went from being confident vivacious uh athletic driven very sociable to the child well maybe not today but the child a year ago was completely different um so I kind of after the lockdown they went back to school and I spent most of the time dropping him off, watching him crying, looking at me through the window of the car. And as a mother, I just kept driving away thinking, what? why am I doing this? Why am I tormenting not only myself, but him? Um, it was quite distressing to drive away every day thinking he's gone to school crying, he doesn't want to be there. And I didn't really understand why. I didn't put two and two together. It was the lockdown at first. So... I kind of had a chat with my husband and we eventually, it took me a long time to convince my husband, but we got there in the end um, and he agreed, you know, that I could take him out and uh, give it a go with the homeschooling. And it was more of a, more of a, an emotional thing. I wanted to address his emotional needs, but also, you know, knowing what we know, being awake in inverted commas, um, I wanted to get him out of the school system as well because I don't agree with what they're, what I would say is indoctrinating them with. Going back to that initial lockdown, the very first one, I know it's quite some time ago now, March 2020. Yeah. Can you remember the kinds of things that he um, was coming home and, and presumably he was coming home and telling you about why he didn't want to go to school anymore? Can you remember the sorts of things that, that, that he would tell you? I mean, he, he had a dislike for his teacher a lot. And and she turned, I mean, this was before any of the COVID stuff, but I mean, she wasn't particularly sympathetic or sensitive woman herself. And then when COVID happened, she was, because and ironically being a smoker, uh, she was terrified. So she was the worst one in the whole school for being uh, very regimented about the COVID stuff. And she you know, was sanitising their hands when they went in the classroom. They were washing their hands after absolutely everything. Um, So he was saying he didn't like keep washing his hands all the time. And that was annoying me as well about the fact that they're putting alcohol gel on their hands. You know, not all alcohol gel is just alcohol. There's other chemicals in there. And that's been 
proven and whatnot. So that that really bothered me. Um, but it, I, I think it wasn't so much the actual, well, I don't know. He didn't say a lot about why he was upset. It's just, I knew something was wrong. And it, and it was very, I suppose, disconcerting for children. They were terrified. I mean, at home, he's getting, everything's fine. Don't worry about anything. And at school, he's getting, be terrified. You're a biohazard. Don't touch anyone. I can't touch you, you know, from adults wearing masks, looking terrified. So I think he was probably getting conflicting messaging. Um, but is that an environment you want to go to as, as an eight-year-old? <laughs> Sounds to me like cognitive dissonance, uh, you know, mm. in your in your face, isn't it? One message at home that's very different to the message that's being pumped at you at school. It's no wonder it's confusing. Did you, did you say he was eight, eight or nine at the time? Yeah, he was eight at the time uh, in 2020. He's 10 now. Um, but yeah, it was very young age. Tell me about working on your husband because he disagrees. He disagreed with the, with the premise of, of home educating at first. Talk talk to us about that. Mm. I think he, you know, my husband comes from um, a, a, a different background to me, um, and education to him is very important. Academia is very important in his culture. Um, he, he's from the Middle East, and uh, so for him, education is a privilege. And he sees our state education system as, uh, you know, something that shouldn't be um, kind of, what's the word, you know, um, taken for granted. So he, uh, it's hard trying to get across to him that we're not in that world anymore. You know, things are changing. Um, and he is, he is um, learning as, as he goes. <laughs> but, um, you yeah, know, was, it was hard trying to convince him to let me try it um at least and it was a trial run we got there in the end um but it is meant to be a trial run but he agrees that I'm doing a fantastic job and he can't complain at all before we get into the things that you've been doing because I know you have some really exciting and innovative strategies that you've been talking to me about uh, sort of off air um tell me about does is your husband already aware of the the disparity between uh, a state school education in the UK and a private school education in the UK? Because I sometimes think that people come from different cultures, think of a British education as just one kind of thing, whereas we have three at least three tiers. Really, we have a, a state school education, a grammar school education, which is partly state but has some of its own um, influences, and then we have private school education. So there's, 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 to me, to my understanding of it as a teacher, there are three clear levels. Is that something that's not necessarily well known outside of the UK? Yeah, I would. I, I, I think so. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure, but I know that my husband. You know, if we if we could afford it, he's very pro private school. You know, and he's always said, I'd love to be able to send our kids to private school, you know, had, could we afford it? But I'm not sure if he understands if there's a, a different curriculum or if it's just like, you know, the naivety like I do. I kind of think, oh, well, private education is just the same curriculum, but you've got a smaller amount of children to um, like a parent uh, child teacher ratio is better. So you get more one to one learning. So you get you get a better experience and the privilege paying for it as well. <laughs> um, so I don't know how he un- uh, how he understands that. In fairness, many private schools have their own curriculum. They refuse point blank to teach the national curriculum. 
And it, it, and it clearly doesn't affect results at GCSE and A-level mm. obvious, for obvious reasons. You can see how well, for example, Eton College do at GCSE and mm. A-level. Uh, but they do teach their, their own, they staunchly defend their own curriculum. And it's quite a difficult conversation to have, even with parents who uh, are very familiar with British uh, educational culture. It's frustrating from my perspective as a teacher trying to explain that actually uh, a lot of the elite schools don't use the national curriculum for, and for good reason. One of the greatest fears sometimes with parents who want to home educate but are frightened is what do I do about the national curriculum? And I say, well, mm. you take take a large round file, no, also known as the bin, <laughs> and you scrunch it up and you throw it in there. <laughs> And then we start to actually educate your children. And this is something that, you know, it's, it's quite, it's, it's um, a moment of, of uh, extreme cognitive dissonance for parents who themselves have been through that, uh, the national curriculum in, in most cases. So te- come on, tell us the juicy details. How did you actually convince your husband to, to let you do this trial run? What, what was the thing that you did? Because there are so many mums in particular asking me, like, how do I do this? My husband disagrees, but I really want to home ed. So what did you do? Tell us what you did. Well, it's probably a bit of a bone of contention with regards to the curriculum because we came to an agreement that if I followed the curriculum, I could take him out of school, um, which kind of defeats the purpose of home educating, um, especially when you're coming from an awake point of view. But it works because having never been a teacher myself, um, other than a mum, I didn't really, I wasn't really aware of like, I don't, I don't just want him to sit at home and do nothing all day. I do want him to get some sort of education. I don't think it, you know, some people have got that idea of just let them, just let them be. And that's absolutely fine. But for for me personally, um, I want my kids to get an education. I just want them to have a education that's useful for them in life. So we bought um, when I spoke to my husband, we agreed on that uh, he could come out of school if we uh, continued with the curriculum. So I went to the CGP website and I picked uh, the math, science, English, geography, history, um, and oh, what was the other one? There was one other, um, the books for year five. Um, and and I know I, know, I got them and... And I basically, it gives me, it gives me as a, a non-teacher a structure and something to follow, but I can pick and choose. And I don't think there's anything actually in them books that um, I, I disagree with. Maybe, I mean, we haven't really covered the climate change nonsense. Um, he's not really that interested in that. So we've kind of skirted around the kind of geography stuff. We've just concentrated on volcanoes and earthquakes and things so far, but there's nothing I disagree with, maybe the history stuff, but I don't really know it in depth enough to know whether or not it's truthful. Um, but I don't see him har- harm in him learning about the history of the UK. You know, we've done the Saxons and the Vikings, and uh, he's interested in World War Two and World War One. So, um, like I say, we've kind of stuck to a curriculum. It's given me a basic structure, but we can leave it or take it, take it or leave it. Sometimes we'll look at a subject and I'll say, well, okay, we need to do this subject today. And he'll say, can we watch a video on it? So we'll go to YouTube, we'll go find a, a, um, a, some sort of documentary on it or something. And we'll find other ways to learn about that particular subject. So we're using the curriculum as a basic structure. And we are working through the books. He's completed some of the books. Like I say, it gives, also for him, it's a good way for him to 
continue writing because I think writing's an important one. He needed to improve his handwriting. That was terrible. Um, yeah, and like I say, it just gives me a bit of a, a, a scaffolding to work around to know what kind of subjects they're learning because, you know, having never been a teacher before, it's uh, you don't know where to start really. For many parents, I think it's uh, a difficult a, a difficult moment deciding, you know, what and how to teach. But in, in reality, when children are of primary school age or elementary school age, perhaps if you're abroad, it it, it doesn't really matter. The crucial things are reading, writing, arithmetic, aren't they? We want young children who can write, who can read, who can speak well. That sometimes get, gets gets missed, I think. But we want children who are able to properly articulate. They must be able to read, write, and articulate themselves and do mathematics. And if you if you nail those things down, then really you, the world's your oyster. You can you can decide what takes your fancy. Whether you're going to be a history specialist or perhaps you're more interested in coding or building computer systems. But if, if we don't have those essentials, I think you're totally right in your approach. You mentioned earlier that you didn't want him just sat around doing whatever and freestyling it. Uh, and I, I completely agree with that. I've seen an awful lot of that, actually, from some quarters in home education. And it's alarming because I feel like they're not providing their child with a, an opportunity to, to achieve uh, the, the, their greatest possible achievements in whatever it is they're going to be good at when they're older. I think to not, I think to deny them the opportunity of a properly academic education is is an awful thing, also. But on the other hand, if you take the opportunity to home educate and run with it, and it, in a way, you're actually able to provide, in some instances, a private school standard education, an expensive standard education on a budget if you do it if you invest the time rather than the money. Hmm. So I, I I think that a lot of parents are, are starting to wake up to the idea that you can actually better educate your child from an academic, purely academic perspective, even in the home, than you can by sending them to just any local uh, state school. And even in case, in some cases, some grammar schools uh, are not as good as people might imagine. Tell me about your other. Tell me about your older son. Uh, what's the What's the deal with? Because you have the younger son who is in uh, who is being homeschooled after being pulled out of primary school, and you have an older son in high school. Is that right? Yeah, he's uh, in year eight now. Um, he is autistic, so um, but what they call high functioning. Um, so my husband is not happy about him coming out of school. So uh, although I thought if I got one out, I might be able to convince him to take the other out um, when he saw how much of a wonderful teacher I was. And although he agrees that I'm a wonderful teacher and Isaac's getting a wonderful education, um, he was not happy about Jacob coming out. And Kind of over time, I, part of me agrees because despite the fact that I try and give Isaac a structure, it's not rigid because that's the whole point of school, homeschooling. You can be quite flexible with it. You know, if you've got something pops up, you can just leave the homeschool or the home ed, you know, the academic work till later or do extra the next day. But with with uh, my older one being autistic, he really does thrive on structure. and because of that autism, he likes to recluse a lot. So it kind of pushes him out into the world and pushes him into not uncomfortable situations, but makes him face his social, uh, not anxieties, but he kind of finds it a bit difficult. And and in a way, the, the structure of school, like I say, it, he thrives off that. Um, and so I kind of, part of me agrees with my husband, although if if he was, if I was to take him out, I would provide a much better structure for him um, than I give the younger one, um, just 
based on his needs because you have to adapt to their different needs and style of education. Um, but, yeah, I, that was one battle I didn't win and uh, it, it's just not going to happen. I've tried and tried and tried and done all the everything I possibly can to convince him, but he's not having any of it. What strikes me about that is how clear in your mind it is to put how the importance of putting the the child at the centre of their education. The way you've just described the very different needs of your two sons, the very different requirements that they have is wonderful. Teachers begin, teachers can see that in the classroom, but they have no opportunity to divide themselves up into 30 different pieces. And this is one of the, the other things that is completely misunderstood about mainstream education i.e. schooling, is that you you cannot possibly provide the best education for all of the 25 to 30 children in your class because they're all completely different. You have two sons and yet their requirements are stark. They're, they're quite, but from what you've described, they're extreme, they need extreme differences. And how lovely to hear you say, if I did educate both at home, I would have a, a you know big structure, timetable, kind of you know regimented regime for one, and a much more fluid, flexible. And it just goes to, to highlight the exact premise of homeschool, homeschooling or home educating is much easier to adapt to the individual needs of individual children. Mm. And it's it's something that's extremely frustrating as a, as a former classroom teacher and, and now as an independent private tutor and, and homeschool advisor that it's difficult, like children need different stuff. That even, even two children from the same family yeah. require absolutely different educational experiences in order to attain their personal best at whatever it is. Now, tell us, you. Um, I'm sure your husband's right when he, when he describes you as a wonderful teacher, because some of the things that you've been telling me that you've been doing with your younger son at home, absolutely wonderful. Um, I'll start you off. You, you mentioned something to me about uh, mathematics and the trampoline, I think, uh, a few weeks back. Can you remember what you were doing um, with, with, with that? Because it was a wonderful story uh, from, from memory. Yeah, um, I I have noticed with um, my son, with he's like any child, and I think that's another thing that all teachers need to um, learn and adapt to in the classroom is that everybody can have a bad day, and sometimes Isaac will have a bad day. He will just not be in a learning frame of mind. So, um, and you know, with it just being winter here, we've just come out of winter, and we had a beautiful day outside. And uh, he was due to have some maths tutoring with you, actually. And uh, he needed to brush up on his times tables. So we went, he said, can we go outside and do our work? And I said, yeah, fine. So we took out all our work out there and sat on the patio. It was lovely in the sun. And uh, when we, we did some maths practice, you know, on paper. And then he, uh, he wanted to go on the trampoline. And I said, okay, well, why don't you? I'm going to shout out because we, I think we were focusing on three times tables. I said, I'm going to shout out four times three, and then I want you to bounce as many times as the answer. So we counted together what the answer was, which was four, three, uh, three, six, twelve. <laughs> I'm counting on my fingers. <laughs> so he bounced 12 times. So it's little little things like that, which he found really, really fun. And, and I hope that his uh, well, I think I'm pretty sure his times tables are definitely improving. You know, with things like that, it's it's not boring sat in a classroom going over. You know, one times three is three. Very kind of 
you know, monotone, boring. Finding ways to teach children. Children love having fun. They love playing games and they love making educational um, education fun. That's how children learn. And and then it's not just learning, it's retaining it and understanding it, not just repeating it like a robot. Being able to use what they've learned in the real world. What you've described is kinesthetic learning, learning through doing, learning through physical things, which is actually much more important for children than almost anybody is talking about or almost anybody recognises. Kinesthetic learning doesn't mean football. It doesn't mean just doing PE. It means being physically involved with what it is you are learning, whatever that is. And I I think the stuff on the the trampoline is is a really, really fantastic strategy, particularly for young boys who might be more energetic or even some young girls who happen to have a higher um, activity rate than than average. Mm -hmm. I was a a very active uh, little girl. I was climbing trees and doing all kinds of things that I shouldn't be doing probably shouldn't have been doing. And I needed a a much more physical approach to education myself. And it hasn't made me any less academic. I've ended up as a mathematics teacher, for heaven's sake. You couldn't pick a more um, (laughs) more academic slash boring subject, depending on your viewpoint. But there are lots of different ways in, in order to learn the exact same thing. And I think when you physically learn something, when 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 you're even if you're doing something that's like what I love about the trampoline is it's it's embedding the number uh, the answer, the numerical answer with a physical activity, the number of bounces. But it, it's it, even if it wasn't that, if doing something physical whilst learning mathematics, it, it adds an extra layer. It adds an extra, it's not, it's not just mm. visual, it's not just um, audible, uh, it's, it's kinesthetic, it's real, it's physical. And there's just not enough of that that takes place uh, in the classroom. But also some of the home education provision, these uh, online schools where children are sat for hours and hours a day in front of a computer, that's not, I'm sorry, mm. that's not healthy for starters. No. I, I know as an adult that I don't want to sit in front of a screen all day. And that's kind of hard because as an adult that does become many, many people's jobs. <laughs> you, ha- you have to spend time in front of a screen. But for young children in particular, I think it's appalling just to be sat there all day doing online things. Yeah. Learning should be in and of the real world. Out, I mean, I love you outside getting extra vitamin D in the sunshine, presumably. Like, how wonderful that you can take advantage of all of these benefits. Mm. Um, you know, I'm really, really super impressed with that. My older one, um, when it, when he was at primary school, he obviously has like kind of elements of ADHD, quite bright, hyperactive. And so keeping still for him was really difficult. So we used to, when we did spelling practice, I would get his spellings and write them on a piece of paper and I'd put them around the room um, in the lounge and we'd be in the kitchen. And I'd say to him, run in the lounge, find a spelling, bring it back to me and we'll go over it. So he'd write it out and we'd do the spelling. But if I made him sit there, at a death, you know, at the, at the uh, island in the kitchen, <laughs> he, he would go bonkers. He wouldn't be able to concentrate. So this gave him a chance to run, kind of get it out of his system, get back, do a little bit of work and then run again. You know, so he's constantly being able to um, kind of burn off that, whatever it is, this excess energy he's got. Um, and, and it really, really worked. So you've got to kind of adapt learning for each individual and boys like you've said before when we've chatted privately boys are boys are a completely different kettle of fish to girls 
it's an extremely unpopular uh, thing to say at this time, at this moment in time. Well. But it doesn't make it any less. No, no, don't be sorry. It doesn't. It doesn't you're absolutely make it less right. True. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. It doesn't make it any less true. And to deny that there are biological differences between boys and girls will go on to deny them um, their very, very best outcomes at A level at GCSE. It's actually ruining education. When I was first uh, becoming a teacher, I wasn't aware of the potential benefits of, of segregated education in terms of sexes, boy, uh, educate, boys being educated in, in, in one room and girls in a different, in a different classroom. I, I had no idea what the benefits could be of that. And I was kind of indoctrinated myself thinking that, oh, co-ed is, is much kinder, much healthier. You get to learn, boys and girls get to mix and all of this stuff. But actually, the more I've learned about education... And obviously, I knew nothing at the start, even though I thought I knew everything. <laughs> the, the more I've learned, the less I know I know. But also, the more I've gone back to more traditional outcomes. Like, But you can clearly see the difference between the behavior of boys and the behavior of girls. Behavior is a really obvious one. In, in a classroom, it is stark. I have a colleague in Germany who has just started teaching elementary age, uh, primary school age, and he comes to me with a story every single week about, oh, the little boys this week did this, but the little girls wanted to do that. And he's not trying, bless him, he doesn't realise, he's a little bit older uh, than I am, he doesn't realise that the things he's saying are sort of deeply taboo now and you know totally politically incorrect. But he's just telling the truth. He's just observing what these what the, the differences between the little boy, what the little boys require in the classroom and what the little girls require in the classroom. And actually there's an argument that goes that boys perhaps ought to spend less time in classrooms as in inside, than girls. What do you think? What do you make of that? Oh, definitely. I mean, having boys myself, I know that they are, I mean, you kind of look back at, in t you know, when you look back at your own childhood and you think, you know, how come we all used to sit there fine and now children can't? But I, don't, I think we were probably more scared of teachers back then and we did as we were told. Um, I'm not saying that children are not, um, that children are at kind of out of control now, but I think that the respect level is completely different these days to what they were when I was a child. Um, and but I do remember not wanting to be sat there all day. Definitely, I don't think it's natural. I mean, it, it isn't natural to make children sit for six hours a day, and I know they get a break time and whatnot. But I, I think all children. I mean, maybe I. You probably know more than me um, about the differences between boys and girls and education but I, I think all children should be out you know we, I, one of the things that my uh, son's primary school did was they did forest school once a week but they only did it for one term which is a shame um, but they'd all go off up to the forest up the road and do a whole day in the forest um, I think it was one day a week for, for one whole term and and that was brilliant they learned so much and you could see them you know when you pick them up at, from the forest at the end of the day my god they were beaming they were covered in mud and they'd had the best time and and when you talk to Isaac now about when he was at school he'll always say that was the best time was when he was at, at forest school you know and I, I think that loads more needs to be done outside of the classroom even if it's just taking their shoes and socks off and letting them play on the grass you know and do their work on the grass you know get their feet in the soil and you know do a bit of grounding <laughs> yeah in, in physical and uh, non-physical senses right grounding them in in life yeah. and in in uh you know in in, in, in their psychology and in, in their internal life it's very 
I mean, take, taking a class out onto the field is a, a complete nightmare uh, these days. You know, health and safety. Have you done a risk <laughs> assessment? Have, what, yeah. what to take to introduce children to grass? Is it, do I need to do a risk assessment for this? Really? I used to ignore that and take them out and do welly wanging and things in the summer anyway. Um, but I was I was happier to live on the raggedy edge a little bit when I was teaching because I knew the school needed me more than I needed them because I was an outstanding mathematics teacher. So I did take extreme liberties and, and reap the rewards because children are much more... Statistics is boring. Yeah, I said it. Learning statistics is absolutely dire. Data handling it is the most... I'm a mathematician and I think it's, ter- I think it's definitely boring also. So... Uh, uh, you know, I had to think of ways of, of making this interesting to teenagers. I was teaching a lot in secondary schools at the time. So we'd go out and we'd throw the wellies and we'd measure how far we threw them. And we, we'd collect data from, you know, uh, who threw the farthest. Well, that'll always be the energetic boy, usually called Ryan, who's running around like a lunatic. Um, but we'd get we'd, we'd make good use of his extra energy because we'd get him to go and fetch the welly after loads of other people had thrown it. So he would he would burn his energy off that way and he was happy. So that, we did that. And I also was into archery at the time. So we looked at doing some archery in the sports hall and then collecting the data around that. And because it was real, because the children knew how many times they'd hit the gold and how many points that was, it was 10 each time, it actually enabled me to teach the extremely boring lessons on you know, making graphs and, and all of the data things associated with data handling much more interesting just because it was their data it had their names on it. They'd thrown those wellies. They'd, they'd shot those arrows. And instantly, it let me get away with teaching this, this awfully boring stuff that, we, that we're supposed to have to teach the children. And, but because it, they, they owned it, it wasn't terrible to them. It wasn't like torture. Like I've, Those classes can be like pulling teeth. It is, it is painful, painful. Uh, teenage, I mean, most adults wouldn't want to do those lessons, perfectly honestly. But if you actually have ground it in something real, something that actually matters to them or something that they're interested in, ah, oh, all of a sudden you don't have half of the barriers. To look, and, and students out um, overperform. I remember at university I had to do some statistics coursework and I wanted to cry because I hated statistics. I preferred mechanics, real maths, I call it. Uh, anyway, I decided I would do it on the number of red and yellow cards given by referees and whether or not how tall the referee was affected how many cards they gave. So my vague hypothesis was taller referees had to give less yellow cards and smaller referees had to give more. And I thought it might be because perhaps somebody who's smaller might be given less respect and bigger players can bully a smaller referee, perhaps. So I wanted to find out if that was true or not. And I genuinely sent out, because I was into refereeing, I had lots of refereeing contacts, I genuinely sent out uh, emails and surveys to as many referees as I could be put in contact with and made a really good piece of statistics coursework. And because it was a question I was genuinely interested in finding the answer to, by the way, there is no correlation. So uh, smaller <laughs> referees don't give more yellow or red cards and taller <laughs> referees don't give less. It, it, there is no correlation between the height of a referee uh, and the number of yellow or red cards they give. But I, because I was actually interested in it, I did really well at something I was rubbish at. Like I openly admit I'm garbage at statistics, or I certainly was before I went to university. But because I picked, I knew that I wasn't going to do this coursework properly. I just knew I wasn't going to if I borrowed some pre-existing data about, you know, canteen school meals or something garbage that I didn't care about. But if I pick something I was actually interested in finding out the answer to, it completely changed my attitude towards doing all of this horrific coursework. And it's the same with children. Why, why would it be any different? How can your lesson, how can your one lesson be right for those 30 different children ever? <laughs> how can it be? No, I agree. Totally. Yeah, I agree. 
they're all different and you know male or female that I think there's definitely a difference in you know boys and girls learning you know definitely but there's you know all children are individuals and I learned that a lot learning about you know autism as well you know not not everyone that's autistic is the same they're all individual and all have different needs and, and it's just like every child every human we're all diverse you know and it's 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 hard to see how you can factor that in when you lump 30 children into one classroom with one teacher and one TA and expect them to all learn at the same rate. It's impossible. What do you think the provision, without mentioning the name of the school for obvious reasons, I don't want to get sued on the first week, um, without mentioning the school's name, uh, can you talk to me about the provision for your autistic son? What um, what the pros and cons do you, of it? Uh, just, just as kind of to... I'm getting in contact with lots of parents who say, oh, my son has autism or my son has ADHD. Um, and I'd just be interested to hear what, what your views are on the special educational needs provision for your son at, at secondary school. Uh, the the secondary school they've been, they, they I, I can't complain. Uh, I'd say, obviously, whenever they go, we went from a tiny little village school, um, primary school, where they literally just, uh, I couldn't praise them enough for how much they did for him. Um, I don't mean to be rude. I don't know if that's money orientated um, or whether they genuinely cared, but they threw everything at him at primary school and he really wouldn't be the boy he is today had they not given that intervention, I think. They paid privately for a, a, a educational um, psychologist to, before he got a diagnosis just to help strategies. Um, but I, dig- I digress, sorry. Um th- Going to high school, obviously, it's bigger. They've got more students. I think 600 students there. So, obviously, they do get a little bit, it gets a little bit more diluted. Um, and his needs aren't as great as they were, but they kind of follow on with the education healthcare plan. And, and they, you know, we have meetings every year to update it. But I'd say I kind of wanted him to have a bit more one to one attention in the beginning. Uh, like he was getting lines a lot um, and what they would call kind of, you know, not acceptable behavior at some times. And I thought, well, that if you understand his needs, then you'll understand that that's your not giving him the one to one. I mean, he's actually qualifies for 25 hours a week, one to one. But apparently, when they go to high school, that doesn't mean they get one to one. They get uh, that that's kind of spread over certain things like the use of a laptop and things like that. I don't, I don't really understand it, but it's not one-to-one actual teacher, child, face-to-face. Um, and, and I think he needed that in the beginning and he wasn't getting it, but he has adapted himself and, you know, um, improved himself. Um, and and he, they seem to be, he seems to be rubbing along okay and and they are good if I've got a problem I email them and they get straight back to me um they they kind of do do everything they can to appease me as a neurotic mother (laughs) um but yeah I think I think they're meeting his needs I think they just expect too much from him the other thing about him is that he's very articulate he's because he's high functioning he comes across as a lot more um a lot less autistic than he actually is and uh he puts on a great front and hides his autistic traits quite well and so you kind of can be fooled into thinking he's a little mini genius and he is but emotionally maybe socially he's not 
Thank you. Um, I just was going to add that it's interesting that you described yourself there as a neurotic mother. Uh, from my experiences, <laughs> you're not at all. You want what's best for your sons. Like that's called being a mama bear. That's that's called being a great mother. I don't I don't buy this kind of. It's interesting that I wonder wh- why did why did you use that word? Why did you describe yourself that way? Uh, well. Because I'm one of these annoying mums that like brings the school at the drop of a hat, you know, <laughs> kind of because I think he's my child and he's in your care. I'm entrusting him to your care. So and he's mine ultimately. And I, and I know him best. And so I am one of those irritating, annoying mothers that constantly rings the phone complaining about stuff that's not being done and that's not good enough for him. We need more mothers like you. We need more mothers petitioning schools, telephoning schools, emailing schools, because at the end of the day, you said it right there in loco parentis, the teacher is the parent of that child whilst that child is in that classroom. And this is something that is not being proper. The weight of that responsibility, it is an enormous responsibility to have up to 30, sometimes slightly more, children in your in your room. You're, you, you are responsible. You're not just in charge of them. You are responsible for them. And this is something that was not taught properly, or actually it wasn't taught at all um, at, uh, uni- at university. It's very, very worrying. Yeah. I, um, I find that totally um, outrageous that it isn't explained to, to people that, you know, you must, you must, um, you understand that you are responsible for all of those children and that all of those children come from different parents and that it's, it's, you have to be prepared for that. It's you know, important in terms of being a role model and it's in t- important in terms of being, I don't know, I, I just don't think that it's, it's explained to teachers clearly enough that I, I just don't think that they appreciate the, the responsibility. It's, it's sort of glossed over. It's never even talked about at university. It's completely shocking to me that they wouldn't major on, you know, the deep responsibility that you have for those young people, not just their education, but their well-being. You know, it's, it's yeah, a, it's yeah a, definitely. A, a teacher should almost be frightened of that, the weight of that responsibility. Yeah. They, they should go in every day you know, with that in loco parentis in the back of their minds. And it's something that was just never even mentioned, never even talked about in, in teacher training. It was completely, uh, completely shocking to me. Well, thank you very much for you know, being so open and honest with your uh, discussion points. I really appreciate you, you telling, telling it like it is. And, and thank you for all you're doing uh, in both in school, but especially out of school with, with your youngest. I think it's amazing what you're doing. And your husband's right. You know, you're a wonderful teacher and you should, you're, you're not just a mum. You are a teacher. Yeah, you, you are both. Parents are teachers and people like yourself are, you know, extraordinary. So you, you should be really proud of, of what you're doing. Is there anything that you would like to, before we wrap up, is there anything that you'd like to say that you haven't had a chance to say or anything you'd like to add? Uh, I think the one other thing I was just going to go into um, that, that kind of bothered me at the beginning was the uh, local authority. I don't know how much you're going to touch on the local authority and your... Um, you know, our obligation as parents to the local authority. Um, is that something you're going to go into in your podcasts? For sure. My, my plan is to interview um, some EHE officers, elective home education officers. Parents call them like Ofsted. Uh, first of all, parents, they are not Ofsted. And 
do not, please do not worry and do not think of them as Ofsted. They're nothing of the sort. They can be very easily dispatched in most cases. I've had zero problems with any of my parents this year in terms of final reports. Those parents that have written reports and sent them off have had no trouble. Mostly the EHE officer emails them to say, fantastic, sounds great, I'll uh, check in with you again in 12 months. But I know that the reality and what parents are imagining is going to happen are two completely different things. That They seem to think that Ofsted are going to knock on their door with a clipboard and come around and inspect their teaching. Um, what, is, what, what, what's your experience in, in reality of, of EHE officers? Well, I knew when I took um, my little one out of school that um, the school had to, well, apparently they had to report that he was no longer on the register. So I got a phone call uh, after about six weeks of home edding, um, we started in September, so it was kind of beginning of October time. And she, this lady, rang me up and said um, that she was from the local authority, and she said, "When, when would it be a good time to come round?" And I was like, um, "Hang on a minute, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm still in the process of trying to work out what my obligations are." And she straight away said, "I'll tell you what your obligations are. Your obligations are." to provide me with a report so I know that your child's getting a you know a sufficient education um and if you don't then I shall be um contacting or oh, somebody to to get a what's it called uh you know where they make you go to school uh something order I can't remember what the acronym is but it's basically they can get something that makes you you have to send your child to school yeah, it's like a court order, isn't it? They've got a special name for yeah. it, but it's essentially what it is, is a court order. Yeah. Yeah, and I was straight away, I was put on my back foot, and I, I don't think she caught me on a good day anyway. Um, we were literally at the very beginning of our learning. I mean, six weeks in, after deciding to home educate, it wasn't, um, you know, we weren't even properly set up a structure or anything at that point. I was kind of kind of going through those motions of having to de-school him that, you know, I'd kind of read about, and just let him kind of find his way. And she was kind of demanding a report. And so I said, we're well, not coming in the house. Definitely not. So she's not correct in law. She's actually either lied to you or doesn't understand the education law herself. Your parents are not obligated to provide a report. There is no legal requirement for parents to do so. Uh, there are ways of, of, of refusing even to do that. You don't have to engage to that degree. So she's completely wrong about that. And what an awful way to open up a relationship yeah. with a, a parent. Like, I think, I, I, I remember now you mentioning this uh, quite a while back. You have had definitely had the most horrendous experience in terms of the attitude of this EHE officer. Um, mm. I, I can't, there's no, I, it's incomparable with anybody else in, in the country that I've, that I've worked with. Most, most people have had no trouble we had a steaming row. I mean, I, I obviously being the first time that I'd home educated, I, I just lost myself, basically. <laughs> I kind of went full Hulk. What was the outcome? Uh, well, after I told her to do one, um, I then wrote her an email because after I'd spoke to lots of other home editors and, and I'd spoke to you about being calm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of wrote her an email and said, you know, from now on communication will be via only email and that's it or in writing. And um, here is a report I have provided for you. I didn't do it on there. They sent me a link that had like a, a form on it. And when I tried to print the form off, the form was all out of sync anyways. So you couldn't actually fit any writing on it. And I thought... I don't want to use their forms because that means that I'm adhering to what they want. So I wrote 
I wrote out essentially what they were asking me in a kind of letter form. And and I gave her a brief. I said that, you know, it's going to be succinct, this report in inverted commas, because we've only been doing it for six weeks. But this is what I intend to do. This is and and I took a photo of all the books that we'd bought from the CPG. Um, and then she wrote a letter back saying, um, thank you for your report. It's sufficient. And um, what was the other thing she said? Something along the lines of, um, I'm I'm glad that you understand your obligation to the local authority and I'll speak to you again in six months time. And I thought, I, I nearly wrote her an email back saying, actually, I understand my obligation to my son and my child's education, not to the local authority. I'm doing it for him, not for you. I just did it to you to get you off my back. But I thought, no, Charlotte, don't be petty. <laughs> well, well done you. How dare she? How dare she behave yeah. like that? Um, I must admit that's it is the worst instance I've I've ever heard of. Uh, you must have a particularly prickly one there. Mm, but well done. Well, I've since found out that she's actually an ex head teacher, and I thought, well, why would an ex head teacher want to be a home educating local authority, you know, officer? A very good question indeed. Any ideas? <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to whip the uh, whip the uh, home educators into shape, you know, make sure they're all getting an education the way she wants it to be. I don't know. But yeah, she's a force to be reckoned with. And I'm kind of glad that I stood up to her mm. because he's my child, they're my children, and I'm not going to be told what to do by anyone, by anyone, government, local authority, anyone. I do what's best for my children and I am their parent. I know what's best for them. And, I, you know, like I say, I'm not going to be told by anyone. So, you know, we jump through hoops as minimally as we can. But I kind of think sometimes we, if we want to live in this society amongst them, we kind of have to bend a little bit to what they want. If you don't want to be, if you don't want to bend and you don't want to do it, you have to remove yourself from society um, and at the moment, I'm not in a position to remove myself from this society. So I kind of have to go along with it a little bit. But not too much, right? You did a really good job. Like you, yeah. dis- you dis- ultimately you dispatched her. You know, she was she didn't she wasn't entirely truthful with you, or she didn't know the law properly. But the, it's very important to understand that actually, it's parents. Parents are in charge of their. They are responsible for their child's education. It's actually nothing to do with the local authority. The Education Act, the law, is very clear in this matter. It's a very short law, uh, so don't you know? There's there's nothing for parents to fear. I uh, absolutely. You know, I take my hat off to you for how you eventually kind of dispatched her. She ought to have given you 12 months, not six as well, actually. That's another yeah, matter. We'll, we'll go into that another mm. on another <laughs> occasion. I'll, I'll get you back to yeah. update us or something. Yeah. Listen, I won't take up any more of your time. Thank you so much indeed for for coming and talking to us about your experiences. I, re- I genuinely appreciate you you spending that time with us. I, I really do. So thank you for... For for going first as well, my first guest. I, I should have I should have added that at the start. So thank you very much indeed. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really uh, privileged to be asked, and uh, is grateful to be able to kind of speak to somebody about you know. It's it's kind of lonely being a home educator sometimes. So it's nice to have a bit of a whinge. And uh, thank you for listening to me ramble on. <laughs> my pleasure. Thanks again, and I will catch up with you very soon. We'll get you back on. You can give us an update about. I'm really intrigued I'd love about to. the. How this goes with the uh, the wicked witch from the from the local yes. authority? <laughs> Will do. Thanks very much indeed. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. 
Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination.